I want to read a couple of testimonies to you. You know, I, I remember growing up, going to church, and every week when I was a little kid, they used to have people stand up in front of the church and give a testimony. Before the pastor ever preached, people in the body would stand up and tell what God had done in their life. The people would listen, I would listen. People would be crying, talking about deliverance from some sin or some affliction, some sickness. We don't do that very much anymore. I don't know why. Some churches play video testimonies, but even today, I know in some churches when you go into them, you have to write everything out and it seems so canned and sterile that it almost doesn't even seem authentic. Instead of just letting people get up and tell what God had done, we're, we're so afraid of the free expression of what God has done that they may not say it the right way, they may not do it. It has to be presented just right. But this book, Jesus Freaks, is one testimony after another after another of people who have given their life or who've endured suffering or persecution. I wanted to read a couple of these to you, and I, I just... I think it's important for us. These, these are people that gave their lives, many of them, for Christ. And I think it brings a depth to understanding of the mission we have that sometimes we lose sight about. And this person named Jackie Hamill, she was a young Australian prison evangelist. She was excited about what God was doing. She felt the love of Jesus reach out to the inmates she and 14 members of her church traveled to the Philippines to minister in a military prison there. They were concerned for these lost souls of the inmates, many of whom were communist guerrillas that were in prison for murder. Suddenly, while she was in prison, the quiet was broken by the sounds of fighting and gunshots. The inmates rioted, and they overpowered the guards, seizing the guns and ammunition to make an escape. All of the servants of God were taken hostage in hell for three days. During this time, Jackie and one other girl were raped repeatedly. How's that for rewards? But even in the moment when she suffered the greatest shame, that there is nothing more painful and shaming. Some women would rather die than to be raped, especially repeatedly. She prayed for her captors and spoke to them about God's love. Her face did not show panic, revulsion, or hatred, but it glowed with the brightness of God's light. During her imprisonment, she led the team in singing God's praises. This is after she was raped multiple times. She presented the gospel to her captors. One of the riding inmates threw down his gun and actually received Jesus Christ. On the third day, there was a shootout between the prisoners and soldiers who came to stop the riot. Jackie and Juliet, who was a 16-year-old, were shot. Even as she lay dying, she raised her hands to God, praying for the inmates, for the soldiers, and she died while singing to God. Evangelist Toden Trung was riding his bike over a rough dirt road in North Vietnam. The ruts in the road demanded his full attention. Suddenly, he was surrounded by a squad of communist police officers who pulled him off his bicycle and they started beating him. They made fun of him in front of the crowd of villagers. They videotaped everything. Finally, he was taken to prison and he was kept there without a trial. 
Now, Trung had traveled hundreds of miles on his bike. That alone should convict us. Hundreds of miles on his bike. David, we met people over in India that did stuff like that, that would walk that many miles while ministering to the Co tribe. Dozens of the Co villagers had become Christians after he had visited. But the Co is one of 60 tribes in Vietnam that the government has strictly forbidden Christians to go evangelize. Still, a growing number of believers have dedicated themselves to take the good news of the gospel outside the camp where no official church exists. Some are school teachers, more rice farmers or fishermen, but all are persecuted by the communist government. Now, Trung was in prison for six months before his trial. He saw this as a divine opportunity to preach to the people in prison. What else could the communists do to him? He was already in prison. Through his efforts, many in that prison came to know Christ. Meanwhile, Christians around the world were alerted to his situation. Many prayed and wrote letters on his behalf. Because of the pressure that was put on the Vietnamese authorities, Trung was offered an early release. The only problem, he wasn't ready to leave. He felt God's call to stay in prison. That's just like John Monger over in India who was offered multiple opportunities to come to America. And he said, no, God has not released me to come to America yet. He felt God's call to stay in prison and disciple his new flock of believers. He refused his early release and he chose to serve out his full sentence. This is not a prison like our prison. This is a hellhole, basically. Trung was greatly encouraged when he heard of the many letters that were written by Christians on his behalf. He knows he is called to be an evangelist in Vietnam, which is a dangerous occupation. The prayers and letters gave him the strength to continue to be a witness to his fellow inmates for the kingdom of God. I don't care about my own life, he said. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell the people the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul said, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling the others the good news. And then finally, ten brothers and sisters were imprisoned in China, beaten and bound. They had preached with tears streaming down, causing the passers-by and street sellers to look at them. Christian and non-Christians would look and stop and listen to what they were saying. Even the fortune tellers were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they began to burst out crying. Many people heard the Word of God. They forgot to eat, work, or even return home. They were so captivated by what these brothers and sisters were sharing. They preached until they were exhausted, but the crowd would not let them leave. They wanted to hear more. The authorities, however, came and they dragged them away one by one, binding them with ropes, beating them with electric shock poles, knocking them unconscious. When they revived, they continued to pray, sing, and preach to the bystanders. When they were bound and beaten, many people noticed a strange expression on their face. And the crowd saw to their amazement that they were smiling. Their spirit and their appearance were so lively and gracious that many people were led to believe in the Lord Jesus by their example. When the brothers and sisters in that area saw them bound and forced to kneel on the ground for more than three days without food or water, beaten with sticks until their faces were covered with blood, their hands made black by the ropes, but still praying and singing and praising God. 
they too wish to be persecuted for this Jesus. In this area recently, the flame of the gospel has spread everywhere. Now, that's just three accounts of what God has done. Last night, Lori and I went to a screening of a movie coming out at Easter called Paul, the Apostle of Christ. I admit I had my reservations about it because I wasn't sure how biblically accurate it would be. And I thought, you know, even if it's not biblically accurate, it's still a conversation starter. But I was unbelievably moved by the the depiction of Paul and Luke. I thought God somehow took what some people who may not even have the same theological beliefs as I do, or most people that would consider themselves evangelical Christian, and put this thing together in such a way that at the end of his life, when Paul is quoting Timothy, I started weeping. It was a beautiful depiction of a friendship of Luke and Paul, a band of brothers, two guys who had been faithful in battle together. But it also showed the horrific conditions in Rome. Do you know how we got the term Roman candle? From the Christians that were lit up on the street corners, and they depicted that. And you see Christians being doused with flames and lit a flame as you walk down the street, men and women on poles lit up. I'll never think about Roman candles again the same way because I I didn't know that. And you see what the Christian, the community was like, this Christian community in Rome, and, and how Paul and Luke, Priscilla and Aquila are in it. And, and the, the whole thing is just enduring persecution with love and a witness of the power of Jesus Christ. Loving your captors. Praying for them. And there's this supernatural element that throughout time we've seen in God that I think for a lot of us... We miss out on here in this country because we live so much by the flesh that we don't trust in the Spirit to lead us, to provide for us. In the encounters that I've had with what I would call very, very minor disturbances from other people to keep me from sharing the gospel with people, the Spirit has always been there to give me a peace. He'll do it for us if we will trust and depend on it. But if we're depending on our own strength, if we're depending on our own power, God gets no glory from that. And these faithful people that I just read about, they demonstrated the power of God to love a captor who multiple times raped you. That's unheard. I mean, that that just doesn't happen. It takes something beyond humanity to do something like that. And so, as we look at the, the final three verses of Matthew 10 today. It's some positive news. I mean, I hope you were encouraged by hearing of those powerful stories because I read them and I was encouraged. You know, it encourages me that if I'm ever in a situation like that, that I can trust in the God of all creation. The same God that, that closed the mouth of the lions one day might open the mouth of the lions the next day. They paraded the Christians back in Rome, they called it the circus, where they would just parade the Christians in jail cells and then put them out in the Colosseum and let wild animals go out there. Lions, tigers, other things. And they were just mauled. 
and brutally killed. They crucified people. They beat people unmercifully. Paul, how many times was he beaten? This faithful servant, and still at the end of his life, he was giving praise and credit to God. It's a guy who persecuted Christians. And so as we look at this last section, I'm going to read the whole section again, starting in verse 26 where we started, all the way through 42, and and a quick reminder of loyalty to Jesus, because that's really the essence of all of it. And today's message is that this loyalty of God is actually rewarding for us. We've been hearing about all the cost, but today we're going to hear about the reward, and that's awesome. Uh, so let's, let's read it. Matthew 10, starting in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who received a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And just as way of review, looking at the first few verses, 26 down through uh, 33, we saw that God demands our loyalty. He owns us. We saw that, that in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7 and Romans 8, Paul makes it clear in those letters that God bought us and He owns us. And it's almost like in the Old Testament when a slave was given the freedom to go, but he loved his master so much he wanted to stay, they would put a hole in his ear and mark him that he wanted to be there. He was not a slave out of obligation because he had a debt or something like that anymore. He was a slave because he loved his master so much, he became a bondservant. And that's what Paul used that phrase a lot. That's what he means, that we are God's not out of obligation, but out of love for what He's done for us. He bought us with a price on the cross, and so He demands our loyalty. He demands it as His children. Because 
he owns us. And that's what Paul was trying to get across. It's a loyalty with a big L. It doesn't mean that the other loyalties in your life are to be completely disregarded. You can be loyal to your wife. You can be loyal to your family. But those are with a little small L. The loyalty to Jesus is always with a big L. And, and that's what he's saying. And our loyalty in this first section was demonstrated by, first of all, our witness of the gospel. He says, what you've heard in private, shout from the housetops. Our witness, guys, is one way that we visibly demonstrate our loyalty to Jesus. The fact that we don't shrink back. Every one of those stories I read, those people, even in the midst of persecution, were proclaiming God's love, were proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And yet, we live in a culture that's free from that kind of persecution, and 95% of the people in churches never share that gospel. We do not demonstrate a loyalty to Jesus in our world. And the second way, he said, is our fear of God overshadowing our fear of man. Don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can cast your soul into hell. And I think of that guy in Vietnam who was in prison. Do you know, when he chose to stay there, he showed that his fear of God overshadowed his fear of man because even though he was staying in a prison, that they could have decided at any point to kill him in that regime. They did that a lot in, in Vietnam. But he chose to stay there because his fear of God and his recognition that God wanted him to stay meant that everything else became secondary to what God wanted. And, and for us, we have to ask ourselves our question, what do we fear most? What is your greatest fear as it relates to your walk with Jesus Christ? Is it, what is it losing? Is it a child? Is it a job? Is it a popularity? Power? Money? Whatever it is. All those things have to be secondary to God Himself. It's the understanding that God is in control of everything. And that takes us to the next point where he says, listen, when a sparrow falls, I know about it. And I know the number of hairs on your head. So he goes to a personalization of his sovereignty from a general application of he knows when birds fall that are insignificant to I know the hairs on your head. So it's our trust in his security of us no matter what the conditions are and his love for his people Throughout ages, we see sometimes he closes the lion's mouth. Other times he lets the lions eat the Christians. Sometimes he delivers people from the fire. Other times he lets them be burned on a pole. And, and so he's in control. But there's just one story I didn't read in there about this guy who was, they were being burned at the stake and he was so afraid that it would be painful. And he had heard stories about uh, Christians who were being executed, having this incredible peace, kind of like I've shared with you guys. And so he asked the guy who was going before him, if it's true, when you're being burned, give me a signal. Raise your hands up. Just raise your hands up so that I know that you do not feel the pain, that the Spirit has given you a supernatural ability to endure. And so as he was being burned, his hands were by his side and his hands didn't raise up and he was being charred right before because they let the prisoners watch them before they would ask them if they would deny and so he was being charred right before his eyes and everybody thought he was dead he was still burning but he, he, he was just I mean his body was blackened and charred everybody thought he was dead and at the very last he went up <laughs> clapped three times <laughs> Amen. 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 
And, and it was a testimony to that guy that was recorded. This is not fantasy. This is real stuff. God is sovereign. And so the question is, do we trust His character? Do we trust His love and His sovereignty in our life? Because far too often, we want to establish where God takes us, how He takes us, what we endure, and we follow God up to a point. Okay, God, You've got me up to here. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily. He's in control. Do we trust that? And then He warns us that our loyalty, our loyalties demonstrate through the Spirit ruling our lives. And, and that's where you know He says, if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Father. If you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. And it's not that we get to heaven by martyrdom. It's that when we acknowledge Him, it shows that the Spirit rules us and that even in the midst of terrible circumstances, we can do things like pray for people who are persecuting us, who are beating us, who are raping us, whatever they're doing. He says, that is the demonstration of the Spirit ruling somebody's heart, the Holy Spirit. Well, then He moves from those ways that the Spirit, the loyalty is demonstrated, but He also shows us that the loyalty, what cost, and he shows us these three areas. One is the conflict. He says, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth. I came to bring what? A sword. And he's saying there's going to be conflict. And he shows us that that loyalty is more important than our freedom. And then he, he, he talks about our family. He says it's more important than family. We looked at that last week. And then the last thing he says it's more important that, than even your life. If you hold on to your life more than you hold on to me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. You're not worthy to follow me. Now that's heavy, heavy stuff. This is challenging stuff. This is not lightweight stuff. And this is why the superficial message that we hear a lot in this country, a lot of times we, we, we go to church and we go hear these messages and we're a little, you know, we feel like we're doing what God wants us to do but we're really not having an impact for them. And we wonder why 95% of the people in this country don't share the gospel. When yet you go to other places and people are persecuted, they can't wait to share the gospel. How is that? There is a correlation there. There's something about the reality of it being real and having a cost. When somebody trusts Christ in this country, there's no immediate cost to most people. They just go, I want to follow Jesus. They came, you know, I grew up in the church. And, you know, it's just interesting the way God uses persecution to weed out the superficial. It may be time for some persecution here. Because here's the thing do you know that in America, there are, like, I, I don't even know how many churches there are, but I know in Jacksonville, there's like a thousand churches in Jacksonville. Like all over town. Everywhere you go, there's churches for every flavor you want. And yet, is the gospel really having an impact on our city? That's some hard stuff that we've been covering, but verse 40 through 42 is very encouraging. And I just, this is, God is encouraging us that our loyalty is rewarding. And it is, it is something that, that produces because not everybody rejects. Not everybody hates. Not everybody wants to stamp out. There are some that hear 
just like one of the guards in that Philippine prison, like the people in China who heard those people testifying, people hear and they respond to the gospel. And that's encouraging, isn't it? When somebody says, I want to follow Jesus. And he says, whoever receives you. So he's saying there are going to be some that receive. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives what? Him who sent me. You know what the, the beautiful part of that message is? That we are one with Jesus and God in mission. We go with His authority and His protection. Guys, I'm just going to tell you, that that's encouraging. That when we go, we represent the Almighty God. We are His ambassadors. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says we are ambassadors. When we, when we go and share with people, it's like God Himself is, is encouraging and wooing people through us. One of the biggest complaints that people have, not complaints, but one of the biggest things that people struggle with whenever I talk about evangelism, sharing the faith, is fear of rejection. And I think we forget sometimes. You know what 1 Samuel says? 1 Samuel verse, chapter 8, verse 7. Listen to this. This should encourage every one of you when you think about sharing the Gospel. 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. See, the people wanted a king. And it tore Samuel up. He's like, we have a king. We have a king. And he's trying to plead with them. And God says, they want a king, I'll give them a king. I'll let them see the frailty of man. And he put Saul up there. And what did Saul do? He did not obey God. He showed the humanness of man. But here's the thing that's encouraging to me about that verse. When people reject you, when you are on mission for Christ, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one who sent you. When the Holy Spirit moves you to share with somebody, and not, not because you have some personal agenda to get all these notches in your Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about your personal agenda at all. I'm talking about when I'm at the YMCA and I'm lifting weights, and a guy comes up to me and he says, hey, I got this young guy over here that wants to talk to somebody about spiritual things. And I'm in the middle of lifting weights and I'm going, okay, God, this is obviously a divine appointment. So I step away from the weights. I meet the guy, start talking to him. He's so far out in left field spiritually. And I talk to him about the Bible. Yeah, you know, I just listen to God. Well, how does he speak to you? Well, I just when I'm in nature, you know, just I'm outside and I'm just taking it in. I'm like, you know how God spoke to us is through his word. You know, who who is Jesus to you? Oh, I know about Jesus in the story. <clears throat> and I go, what story? You know him dying on the cross. I'm like, but who is he to you? See, that's the question that you have to ask yourself. And we had a conversation for about 30 minutes. And I'm sitting there praying and sharing, and all during that time. He's listening, but he's not listening. Or I should say, he's hearing, but he's not listening. Now, later that evening, I had another conversation with a guy that called me. He's been calling me to come meet another guy in the same age bracket as this guy. I'm really wrestling with my faith. I'm struggling with my faith. 
He loves the Lord, but he's really wrestling. Listen, Peter struggled. Paul struggled. Struggle is a sign of authenticity. <laughs> if, if you just go, you know, I never struggle with anything, then I'm sitting there scratching my head, then you must not have a real authentic faith. Because it's a struggle. I don't know anybody throughout the Scriptures that didn't have some kind of struggle at some point. Struggle is, is the working out of the faith in your life. And so what he's saying here is when we go out, we represent God and we are one with Him in mission. We are one with Him. We have His authority. I think back to Matthew 28. Everybody likes to quote, go make disciples, right? But they forget about the first part. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in Matthew 28, 18. And then He says, go make disciples. And then how He closes it off at the end, He says, and what? I'm with you always. See, we're not alone. We don't go out alone. He's with us. We're one with Him in mission. We go with His authority and His protection. And that's rewarding for me to think that we go and we represent Him. We're His ambassadors. John 20, 21, Jesus told His disciples, as the Father sends me, I send you. And guys, He does the same thing for us. As God sent Him, He sent us. You know how it applies to us? Because in 17, He says, Father, I pray not only for them, but those who would believe because of them. And on and on and on. And that's us. That's rewarding. Well, another thing that's rewarding is He says we're used by God to bless people. I mean, it, you ever bless somebody? Have, have you ever helped out somebody who was really in need? Whether it was money, whether it was effort. Kenny, you went with us to help Miss Felicia. You know, David, you did that too. Her home was flooded. That feel pretty good to help her out? A lady who was a widow. Was she grateful? Very, Very grateful. Did, did, did that encourage you? Just the fact that you could help somebody like that? There's something innate in us that loves to help people who are in need. You feel that feeling of, oh, it feels good to help somebody out. And God uses us to bless people when we are loyal to Him and to being faithful messengers. And I think back to Genesis 12 when He told Abraham in the very beginning, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It goes back to the very beginning. It's by design. So when we are blessing people, do you realize you're actually fulfilling part of your purpose? That God is leaving you here on earth after He draws you into His family because once, once you go to heaven, they're going to be blessed. <laughs> they're blessed with the greatest blessing they have. They're going to be in the presence of God Almighty. But here on earth, you have the ability to be used by God to bless people. And to bless people with the greatest blessing is to give them the gospel to somebody who is walking in darkness. Ephesians 2.10, remember what that says? We know Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for by grace are you saved. But Ephesians 2.10, we are created what? We are His workmanship created for good works. He made us to bless people. And, and He says in this passage in Matthew 10, He says, whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. Think back in the Old Testament to Elisha, 1 Kings. 1 Kings 17, 8, there was a widow, and she took care of Elijah. She didn't have much, did she? 
If you remember back to the story, she didn't have much, but what she had, he blessed. God blessed it right through him. And she took care of him. Did God bless her? Yes, he did bless her because she took care of God's people. What about um, Elisha, his servant over in 2 Kings? Same thing with the Shunammite woman. They wanted a kid really bad, didn't they? Her and her husband, they didn't have a child. They blessed him with a child. The child died. Oh, why did you, why did you give me this child and bring this heartache into my life? Because the child gets killed. But Elisha comes in because she had taken care of Elisha and gives that child resurrected life. One of the few instances in the Old Testament where resurrection happens. And do you realize that's a picture of the New Testament? It's a picture of what God's going to do that He's given to His people Israel. He's saying, you know what? The prophet, the one, Jesus, brings resurrection and life. And, and He's a picture of that. You know, she had taken care of the prophet. She had received. That's the key word. She had received the prophet. That's the key to this. Whoever receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. We are used by God to bless people with the gospel message, guys. And, and when we receive a prophet, we get a prophet's reward. We're part of it. I, I mean, I think of, there, there was a guy in town here, I don't even know if he's still alive anymore, named Jim Tatum. He used to own a men's clothing shop downtown. When I went into ministry, Jim Tatum, uh, somebody introduced me to him. He said, I want you to come by my shop. I went down to his shop. He said, I want you to pick out a couple of coats and a suit. And I said, I, I, I don't have the funds right now to do this. He said, no, you're not paying me for them. That's my gift to your ministry. And he said, I can't go all over the world, but for people like you, I can clothe you as you go, and I go with you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Now, I believe that Jim Tatum is going to receive a reward for everything that I was able to do sharing the gospel with people because he was with me. He supported me. The Christians who supported the work of Paul and Peter and all these people in the New Testament who supported them. We're in partnership. And some people go, some people sin. But we all should pray and be a part of it. If you receive a prophet, he says, you receive a prophet's reward. And then he says, if you receive a righteous person. The prophet is the person that speaks for God, right? What's a righteous person? It's the person... The acts of the person living for God. The prophet is the speech. Righteousness is the act. It's somebody who obeys God. And that's what he's saying. And John, or Matthew, I mean, uses these phrases a couple other times in the book when he's talking about people in the Old Testament. He says prophets and righteous men. In fact, Matthew thirteen seventeen, He says, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. See how he lumps them together there? Prophets and righteous people. He does it again over in Matthew 23, 29. 23, 29, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous. He puts them together again. There's a correlation between prophets and righteous men. Righteous men are the doers of the will of God. How can anybody do the will of God? Well, first of all, you have to be able to discern the will of God. To be able to discern the will of God, you have to have the Holy Spirit, right? Nobody can do God's... Nobody knows what God wants without the Holy Spirit. 
And, and so what Matthew's saying in this is, listen, we're not only one with Jesus and God in mission, but we are used by Him to bless people as we go carry out and tell people and live out what God wants us to do. And I love how he finishes. He said, whoever gives one of these little ones with even a cup of water because he is a disciple. He's not talking about kids there. He's talking about immature, insignificant disciples. A prophet carried a weighty thing. When somebody was used the term prophet, usually the people of Israel, not necessarily the religious leaders of the false prophets, but usually the people had a respect. They would call them, oh, you, oh, man of God. They would receive them as somebody who was holy. And even a righteous person, but not an insignificant one, not a, an immature person. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, when you do the, the, the basic act of hospitality in the Middle East was to give somebody cold water because it was a very arid place. He says, when you do the littlest act, the smallest act of service to the weakest of people, the world may disregard it, but not the Father in heaven. And what he's saying to the disciples is, when you go out and you do what you do, my Father notices, He is aware, and He's with you. And you will be blessed, and you will bless other people. Now guys, it, that is encouraging to me. That's encouraging. Especially when you read in Matthew 25, when He separates the sheep from the goats, and He says, you know, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. When do we do that, Father? When do we do that? When you did it to who? To the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Guys, I'm going to tell you, when I met John Munger, he had one shirt, one pair of pants. He lived in awful conditions over in India. And now he's pastoring a church in Texas of refugees of about 250 people. He's ministering out there. God has used the guys in this group to buy him a vehicle. Some of you weren't here then, but this group bought him a vehicle, a Sequoia used, that he still drives. And he still talks about how awesome God is in providing that. We support him every month. There's 10 pastors over in India that relieve the LTTI. We support, that train other people. We built a house for Dawa. God used the guys in these groups, these SWAT groups, to do this. And when we do those kind of things at the direction of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't go unnoticed. And that's encouraging to me that God could use somebody even like me who's had the, some of the most terrible choices I could ever make in my life. And He allows me to serve Him. And you know what? There's nothing disqualifying you from serving Him if he's called you. Paul was a murderer. That was so beautifully depicted last night that he murdered, he hated Christians, he despised Christians, and God says, I'm going to use you and write most of the New Testament. It's, it's, it's a really an incredible show of God's grace and mercy. And the question that we have to wrestle with as we leave today is, what are we doing with this great mission that we have this great commissioning we have and this great responsibility that we have. What are we doing with it? Are we loyal? Are we looking toward the reward? You know, there's nothing wrong with a carrot being out there for us, and it's there. The question is, sometimes we don't see the carrot for all the things around us. We get distracted by other things. 
it's a pretty good carrot, to be honest with you. Because there are going to be rewards in heaven. As, as we close our time today, I would just ask that you pray and ask God, God, how can I be more bold of a witness for you, trusting you with helping me to be loyal in my life?